Hello, and welcome to the State of Shakespeare. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. Jim Elliott is away today, but today in the studio we have Jamika Holloway Burl. Welcome, Jamika. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Jamika is a freelance director, playwright, and the founder and artistic director of the Black Ops Theater Company in Durham, North Carolina, and the founder of the Bull City Black Theater Festival. She's worked at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and Playmakers Repertory, among other theaters, and is directing the upcoming production of Twelfth Night at Shakespeare in Detroit. How'd I do? Did great. That's great. <laughs> That's me. That's me in a nutshell. We're so we're so glad to to, to have you with us today. And uh, as I was reading through your bio, uh, I noticed that Black Ops is a relatively new endeavor yeah. for you. So it, you know, Black Ops. So Black Ops is my my baby. I mean, I you know, Black Ops is just so close to my heart. Um, so after spending um, a few years away, after leaving undergrad, I um, moved to New York and uh, worked at the Lark Play Development Center and was really, really lucky to um, get a personal assistant job with a playwright, Katori Hall, writer of The Mountaintop. Um, and, you know, got to work with her for a good uh, about a year and a half. Um, and then I went down to Cape May Stage and was there as a... Um, uh, company management resident, and um, I came back to North Carolina about, you know, I was in the in the process of uh, figuring out what my next move was, because since I was like 21, I had been bouncing around through New York and different places in Jersey. So you went to undergrad. Did you go for theater? I did. I went to, I went to undergrad for theater management, but kind of got swept up into tech and um, became a stage manager. So and so, directing actually is very it's fairly new. Directing for me is just as new as Black Ops is. <laughs> and what brought you, <laughs> what, what brought you to New York originally? Uh, so you know, I mean, it's it, you know, coming out of undergrad, it's just like rites of passage. You go to New York, you know. In my mind, I'm just like, okay, if I if I'm not a struggling artist, if my life is not mirroring rent, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a good artist. My work is not validated. So I took off to New York and I had about $1,800 in my pocket, but uh, I went and, and thankfully, you know, got to work at the Lark Play Development Center and there's where I met Katori and I was was able to sustain myself for about a year and a half as a personal assistant. Um, her show, The Mountaintop, was going to Broadway and then she had um, another show, Hurt Village, opening up at the Signature Theater. So things were really, really robust. Yeah, you were working for her at a very exciting time in her at career. a very exciting time, yeah. And I'm so, so grateful for that experience. Um, and you didn't go t directly to North Carolina after you left New York. You mentioned you, you went to the... Yep. Cape May, New Jersey, which is the most Southern Jersey that you can get. You can go. So it was, so I was still, so at that point I was still trying to inch my way <laughs> back South. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you returned to, do you return to North Carolina? Yeah, I returned to North Carolina and I went, to, I started to see shows, um, you know, and a, a lot of my friends were working in the local theater scene. And I realized that there was like this dire lack of representation on the stage. And um, and for me, that's not about bodies because people are putting bodies of color up on the stage. We see that all the time, colorblind casting. But I was really, really... Um, heartbroken about the lack of, of narratives that we got to see on the stage, um, especially those that concern people of color and women. And so I started Black Ops because I'm like, I don't like what I'm seeing. <laughs> uh, let me put up what I want to see. And so that's actually how, I mean, it was very pragmatic, very simple that way. I'm like, uh, so Black, so Black Ops is about story generation as much as anything else? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because for me, um, you know, we just get so caught up in seeing these very negative um, uh, depictions of, of black life. And oftentimes, even when we tell stories of uh, about women, there are always these stories of resilience and us overcoming. And I was really, really interested in just seeing us navigate mundane lives. Um, not having to do anything uh, spectacular to be validated or for our human um, humanity be to humanity to be recognized. Uh, so that's what I aim for with Black Ops. I'm always looking for stories, and oftentimes uh, to find stories like that, um, I'm not always. I don't always. Um, use black playwrights, you know, because mm -hmm. so, so sometimes I'm just like, oh, I just want to put people in the story. Um, and then I want, you know, I, I'd like I, our identity to give life to them naturally and authentically. Um, so one of the, the shows that we did recently was um, uh, The Typographer's Dream by Adam Bach, who's one of my favorite playwrights. And I would go mm -hmm. see his work down at Club Thumb in, um, in New York when I was there. And uh, the show was about a typographer, a geographer, and a stenographer. And I was like, oh, I want to put some black bodies inside. And, and it had never been done before, but I wanted to put um, these black bodies inside of this ro these roles where we were not having to discuss race. We weren't having to, you know, again, defend our humanity and why we deserve to live. We were just talking about people with normal jobs and how they make it through. And I really, uh, and and that's, that's what I'm really, really um, drawn to. I'm really interested in us thinking about imagining worlds beyond our own and what we're always consuming um, in, in the theater and on television. How do you achieve that? How do you bring these stories? How do you find these stories? How do you bring them to life? And how do they manifest uh, themselves? Yeah, I'm, so I'm such an avid play reader. I mean, I'm always reading plays. Um, it's, it's like my thing to do. People, my friends will ask me out and I'll say, oh, no, I can't go out tonight. And they're like, oh, she just got a shipment from Amazon of new play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you know, always reading stories. I, you know, feel most connected to the to the world through um, storytelling. So I, you know, I find a lot of my comfort inside of um, uh, plays. You know, I come so where I come from. I come from a, you know, pretty low socio um, economic background, and and really was able to find my escape um, while growing up through the different stories that were presented to me. So, um, so yeah, I'm always reading plays to, to be comforted and to, to feel connected to the world. I, you know, even as a theater artist, I, you know, people think that I'm, I'm extroverted, um, but I'm very, very introverted and, and in plays is where, I, you know, inside of stories is where I feel, um, most at home. Boy, I can really relate to that. I mean, <laughs> theater making is, is so, oh boy, it's such a social enterprise, such a people yes. enterprise, but, but the, the, idea of reading plays and, and inhabiting characters is very, very solitary pursuit. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, like you, like you mentioned, I talked to so a, lot, a lot of people who feel like they really only feel like they're in their own skins when they're on stage inhabiting a character. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and because always, you know, there's been so much madness around us in the world. I mean, decade after decade. And, uh, and, and it is something, it's, it's, it's something really, really safe about being able to put someone else's story on. Um, and just kind of be, be seen differently than the way people perceive you 
initially. So yeah, I identify with that as well. And it's one of the reasons why um, I love, I, I've come to love Shakespeare because I, I was not always, I, I'm not like a, I didn't come up on Shakespeare. Um, but I, I do love that his worlds are so fantastical that no, that no matter who you are, where you come from, you can always find a place for you inside of one of Shakespeare's um, world, you know? Uh -huh. so, so there's all, there's always room to just kind of flow in between worlds. And I just, I love that. How did you discover that you loved it? Oh, I was working at OSF. So uh -huh. I went up, yeah, so I um, applied to, to be a part of the FAIR program at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival about a year ago and was one of the lucky, lucky folks who got accepted into the program. And one of the reasons why I wanted to work at OSF um, was because I, also, I wanted to, um, you know, explore my legs as a director. Um, and then also because... I wanted as a as a theater administrator and somebody who runs their own company. I wanted to work at the organization with like one of the highest budgets to kind of see, you know, I just I'm like I want to see how you guys work. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so you know, I so I I was very diligent about taking notes and and and, um, and gleaning as much as I could. But I worked. I got a chance to work on Mary Wives of Windsor, mm -hmm. and. Um, and uh, one of my favorite people to sit with when I was in the rehearsal room, I mean, obviously the director, but I really loved um, to sit with the voice and diction um, director. Um, and um, please, please edit this out because I cannot. David Carey is his name. <laughs> <laughs> but David Carey and I would really just uh, um, love to sit with him and kind of dive into text um, with him. And once I realized that Shakespeare was really um, speaking my language um, as someone who came from like, you know, urban, comes from like urban, urban America. Um, and, you know, to realize that Shakespeare was like just as much as a of a pop star as, you know, any any pop person that we could think of right now who's like making popular entertainment so that they can feed themselves and pay their bills and build their status. Um, the work was just very easy for me to gel with. I think like this idea of Shakespeare supremacy, it's like one of those things that kind of always kept me away from him. But to actually like really, really? sit down with, with David Carey and for him to say, okay, so actually think about this the way you think about like a hip hop song. Um, was really eye-opening for me, and, and that barrier throughout that time just began to come down. And even working with Dawn Monique Williams, she was doing Mary Wives of Windsor, but she said it in um, the 1980s. And so we've got like Belle Bib DeVoe hip-hop music, we've got Prince and Michael Jackson, and all of this like new age music was still bringing this very classic world to life. I was very stimulated um, by this, by that, and um, and to work on, on and to work on like Mary Wives of Windsor, which I feel like it's one of Shakespeare's hardest plays because there's so many stories to try to track. I have to admit, I, I've seen that play once. It's not one that I've studied. I, it's not one that I know very yeah. well at all. I know it's a, I know it's a comedy, and I know that it's a comedy. It features a character like, like Falstaff in it, right? Yes, 
Yes, yeah. absolutely. And then, but there's so many, there are like six subplots that are going on and Shakespeare gives you a bit and then he forgets about it and then he brings it back up at the end. So you're like, wait, where did that go? And <laughs> what's happened with the time? And, and, you know, and I think that that is another thing that made me fall in love with Shakespeare. I'm like, there's so many fallacies in this, this work. <laughs> like when it comes to like keeping up with time and again, tracking stories and and being consistent, I'm like, oh, Shakespeare is just, he's a regular guy who loved theater and art, you know, and music the, the way that I do. So I was really able to just connect when I was like, oh, he, 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 you know, when you get out of this mind that he's like this grand figure, which he is, but I think to approach the work, um, for me, and again, like I always approach um, Shakespeare as if I'm looking at a new play. So I'm always like trying to just like, Find like what's contemporary and what's hip about this, um, and that really ties the story in for me so much more. So that brings us to the play that you're directing at uh, at Twelfth Shakespeare Night. in Detroit. So what at Twelfth Night? And uh, yes. are you in rehearsals already? Am I reaching you in Detroit? Are you there now? Yes, you are reaching me in Detroit. We had our first read yesterday. And actually, I just want to give a, a shout out to the artistic director of, um, of Shakespeare in Detroit, Sam White, who I actually met through the fair program at OSF. Um, she was the Paul Nicholson fellow when I was there as an assistant director. Um, and so we connected that way and really got to talk about, she, she really listened to me as I thought about different ways that I can reinvent imagine some of the classics, especially Love, Labor's Lost. It's always been a favorite of mine. And um, and so that's actually kind of uh, what led to this job that, you know, the door opening at OSF led to me being here at uh, Shakespeare in Detroit. And I'm just so grateful. What's exciting you about, uh, about Twelfth Night? So what's exciting me about Twelfth Night is so we are going to set Twelfth Night inside of like the, the renaissance of like the 20s and the 30s in Detroit. <laughs> And um, I'm super, super excited about that. I'm also super excited about, you know, having this chance. So I've seen 1290 lots of, lots of times. And I think, you know, being a, being a director of this show actually gives me the opportunity to, to rectify some of the things that I've been so confused about. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, questions like, when exactly does um, Viola fall in love with the Duke? Like, when does that moment actually happens happen? Because I think like the play can be so fast paced that you lose, you can lose that very easily. Like when did this happen? Okay. Now, so she just got off this boat. I mean, you know, she just got right. off the shipwreck and now she, and she's working for the Duke. And then all of a sudden she's in love with them. So, so I, you know, like actually being able to actually produce moments that highlight the love taking place, you know, the falling mm -hmm. in love that, that takes place in, uh, between these two characters is something that feels really, really important to me. Um, and then also some, you know, I always am remiss that Mariah sets up this grand plan. And then she disappears. Where does she go? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it just drives me nuts. And so actually, so, you know, when cutting this, this play, I, so all of Fabian's parts now are moved to Mariah. That's also, I was always confused about, okay, when does Fabian come in and take over 
bestie. And so I think I was able to clear that up by handing many of those lines over to um, Mariah. So are you doing this with otherwise? Are you doing it with a full cast of characters? Are you doing uh, it with a with a lot of doubling of characters? How is it? How's that working out? So yeah, so only the only actually the only roles that we double are Curio, Valentine, and we we um, we um, uh, marry their roles with. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they 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 are double cast as like the the sailor. I mean, the sea captain. Um, the priest that marries mm-hmm. Sebastian and Olivia. Um, but otherwise, no, we've got a full cast. And it sounds like you're excited to be in Detroit. I want to ask you about uh, about uh, Shakespeare in Detroit because it sounds like the company is is about to undergo some exciting new changes in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of venue. What's going on? So, uh, so I don't know all the details, but I do know that they are, and this has been announced, and Sam was recently in Forbes magazine speaking about this. But they they did just acquire a riverfront um, location for you know for their so they're going dark after Twelfth Night and we'll spend the next year dark and we'll come back in 2020 with the new season and an all new space on the riverfront which is so so exciting um because right now what a lot of people don't see you see, they see this like um constant work coming from Shakespeare in Detroit but don't realize that there, it's like a two person machine uh-huh. there's the production manager and then there's Sam who facilitates like artistic direction and you know managerial things and so it's a two person machine here and they, they're really really thriving and um uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, again, just really grateful to, to be a part of this. And, if, you know, if you ever if you ever get the opportunity to, to interview Sam White, the pleasure will be all yours. <laughs> well, we're going to try to take you up on that. Now, your cast, uh, where do they come from? Yeah, so I was actually in Detroit earlier this year. Um, Sam flew us up to host auditions. So a lot of the folks are local, um, are Detroit locals. And then our Viola... And um, uh, Sebastian are actually a husband and wife couple that Sam and I met also at the fair program, in the fair program at uh, OSF. So, you know, so I really love that. So through this fair program at OSF, which in fair is, for people who don't know, fellowships, assistantships, internships, and residencies. And um, they really try to bring together um, folks who they they see um, as potential leaders in the field, um, the theater field, and um, and uh, just the relationships that we're able to make and create and take with us um, from that program have just been so so invaluable. So yeah, we've got a fair crew here. So we've got a fair crew, for, uh, someone from the fair program producing this show, directing the show, and then also playing Sebastian. Uh, along with his wife, who was a act, who was a company member um, at, at OSF in 2017. Yeah. And one one last question, because I I'm cu- so curious about Detroit. I was born there, but I haven't spent a lot of time there. Um, what? In the last, yeah, yeah, not since I was very very small. Mm-hmm. And and my impression of De- Detroit is sort of formed by the Detroit of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I understand that Detroit has has changed a lot since then. So, what, what tell tell me about your some of your impressions about about uh, living and working in Detroit uh, of twenty eighteen? Yeah, yeah. So actually, you know, I was saying to one of the um, the patrons last night because we we actually had an invited first read, so a, a few people came, um, and I said you can actually feel the resilience 
of the people. Like as you're driving in your car or walking down the street, like you can feel like this resilience from the people of Detroit. It just kind of like radiates from the from from them. Um, this a, a lot of will and tenacity to keep going, even when like all of the the odds have been stacked against Detroit in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, systemically, you know, inside of like their education systems. But these are people who who refuse to give up. And um, I mean, as you can see, like they're moved, like there's a Shakespeare, there's a Shakespeare company in Detroit who is actually really thriving and moving to this riverfront property. That's excellent. Jamika, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure. Oh, this has been a pleasure. This is great. I listen to you guys all the time. I was just listening about a week ago to your um, your interview uh, with Bedlam about Twelfth Night and what you will. So yeah, I listen to you guys all the time. So this was such a treat. Thank you for having me. Well, it's been a delight. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to The State of Shakespeare. <laughs>